Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to give to Life Church, you can do so by texting the word LC Give to 43506. And now, a message from one of our pastors. Hey, turn your Bibles, please, to, uh, well, there's a bunch of places I need you to turn, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This should be a verse we're familiar with if you've been here for the past few weeks, and this is what it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another version says, your heart will be where your treasure is. So this idea of the heart we've been talking about uh, for the past several weeks, and I got to thinking about it and talking with some, some of the other pastors, we're going, uh, but w- the question is, why is the heart important? And we haven't really answered that question. So just a really, really quick thing here about the heart and how important the heart is for us. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, if you haven't, uh, haven't read this verse before or seen it, I want to challenge you. This is a fantastic verse for you. Number one, uh, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything in your life flows from your heart. That's how important your heart is. And then Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man or good woman bring, uh, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the heart, evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the things that you are speaking is what's coming from inside your heart. Have you ever been unexpectedly bumped in life and a difficult circumstance comes, uh, comes your way and you get bumped and something unexpected comes out of your mouth? <laughs> right? Uh, can I tell you, okay, well, I remember the last time I said a cuss word. Not the last time I thought one, but the last time I said one, all right? The last time I said one out loud was in August of 1987. That happened working at Godfather's Pizza. It was a rough night. And I was angry at the manager because she thought she knew better because she was a manager and I wasn't, you know. And uh, so I was a 17-year-old kid, really, you know, really, really excited. I know what I'm doing with my life. And I was very angry. I was cutting the pizza. She said something to me, and I said a very bad word, slammed down the, uh, the pizza cutter and quit that night. That was the thing. And then I went back like the next day and apologized to her because it, that was in the moment when God was still working in my life. It well, still is to this day. But what, anyway, I have no idea why I told you that story, but I just told you that story. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. <laughs> and at that point in my life, that was what was it full of. So one fundamental assumption of scripture is that the human heart is constantly open to influences. Those influences can, can come from above, right, from the heavenly influence. They can also come from below, kind of demonic, satanic influences. Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verse 9. Uh, I actually don't have it up there. If I'm pointing up there as if it's going to be up there, it's not going to be up there. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what Jeremiah says about the heart. It's, it's, man, it is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And yet we find Paul in the book of Romans, he says this, um, Romans chapter 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the heart is deceptive 
It is deceitfully evil. It is awful to the core. And yet God says, I'm going to pour out my love in that same place. And we can be confused by that, can't we? <laughs> Trying to figure out how do we navigate all of this with our hearts. The Bible says also in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart believes and the mouth speaks. What's in your heart is going to come out. So I want to make sure that what's in my heart is the things that God treasures. What's in my heart are the, the, the very central issues of life because everything in our life comes from our heart, right? Everything in our life, how we respond, everything we do in our life comes out of this heart. So that's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also and why your heart is so important. But we struggle uh, with, with all of this because there are times when we, we find this battle that happens. The, uh, what, somebody said the longest distance ever is, is the 18 inches or so between your head and your heart. There is just a vast difference between these two things. And there's a battle that happens, kind of this head versus heart thing that shows up in so many areas of our life, including that of giving including that of tithe, right? We, we've got a heart thing. We've got our head at, at battle, and these, these two things battle against themselves a lot. Um, now, I love the head. I love learning. I love studying. I, I read a lot of stuff. I read, like, biochemistry. I read physics. I quantum mechanics. I love reading all that stuff. I read the Bible, which is very good to do. I would encourage you to do that. Um, I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I read, read, read. I love that. I love education. I love getting things into this head of mine. But it's with the heart that we believe, right? And so, man, this is so important to make sure that we get this right when it comes to things like giving. So the question in this battle between head versus heart is why do we give? Why do we give? Now, there's a stream of Christianity uh, that's out there, and uh, it's the prosperity gospel stream. And the prosperity gospel stream, go, and maybe you've seen it on TV. That's primarily where you will see stuff like this. But what you will see is something like this. If you give to such and such a ministry or if you give to my ministry, God will see this gift, and in return, you will get a financial blessing. And I will guarantee tenfold blessing back to you if you give. Have you ever heard that before? All right. God wants to bring monetary gain your way if you just give some my way. <laughs> I know that God will give some your way, right? And that prosperity gospel has done great harm to this whole realm of giving uh, into uh, giving our tithe and giving offerings above that and giving in general. The prosperity gospel has been extremely harmful. So when we start to have this idea of give to get, right, because that's really at the heart of the uh, prosperity gospel is I'm going to give in order that I get financial blessing in return. This reveals a motivation in this battle when we feel, uh, when, when we're struggling through this decision to give. So there are three stories I want to share with you today, uh, all really uh, centered around Jesus and kind of how he dealt with this, the head versus heart battle. And Luke chapter 6 this is right in the Luke chapter 6, verse 30. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is talking to a bunch of his disciples, those that are closest to him, and then many, many, many other people are on the hillside listening to Jesus speak. And right smack dab in the middle of, of the Sermon on the Mount, here is where Jesus goes. 
And he says, give to everyone who asks you for something. And when someone takes what is yours, do not ask for it back. Do for others just what you want them to do for you. How many of you have known that? That's the golden rule, right? And you see that in school, elementary. For some reason, we take it off at elementary and you don't ever look at it again. We need to start looking at that again, right? Uh, do for others what you want them to do for you. If you love only the people who love you, why should you receive blessing? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you receive a blessing? Even sinners do that. And if you lend only to those from whom you hope to get it back, why should you receive a blessing? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. No. Love your enemies and do good to them. Lend and expect nothing back. You will then have a great reward and you will be children of the Most High God. For he is good to the ungrateful and the wicked. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Because that that, that's who we were. He is good to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge others and God will not judge you. Do not condemn others and God will not condemn you. Forgive others and God will forgive you. Give to others and God will give to you. Indeed, you will receive a full measure, a generous helping, poured into your hands all that you can hold. The measure you use for others is the one that God will use for you. Now, there is so much going on in the scripture. We could spend weeks just dealing with all of this. But the bottom line is this. The message of Jesus' sermon is give. Right? That, that's the bottom line of all this. Give. Give to those who ask you. Give to those who can't pay you back. Give love to those who don't deserve it. Give mercy to those who wrong you. Give the kind of treatment you would hope to receive from others. Give. 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 Oh, and by the way, when you do give, God will make sure that there's blessings that come your way. Now, there's a subtle difference between give to get versus what Jesus is pointing out here. Because the motivation to give is not to get in what Jesus is talking about, right? The, the motivation to give is not to get. What happens is blessings become a byproduct of a natural or of this natural decision to follow after God by generous giving of your life. There's going to be blessing. It's going to happen, but it's a byproduct. It's not the motivation for which you give. When you give with what looks to the world like reckless abandon, you are following God's example. When you give with what to the world looks like reckless abandon, you are following God's example. We should give for the pure joy of imitating our wonderful father. Because what did he give? He gave his son, Jesus Christ, everything. And notice that the giving here is not just some sort of financial thing. And this is going to be important in our next story. Because he says in here, and the implication is that that pressed down, shaken together, in your hands, overflowing, more than enough, all of that also refers to condemnation. If you give condemnation, it will be given back to you overflowing. If you give judgment, it will be given back to you overflowing. If you give forgiveness, it will be given back to you overflowing. If you give and this is a financial thing. If you give, it will be given back to you overflowing. And so that, that the spiritual principle here is that what you sow, you will reap. Perhaps a bit sarcastic here, but can you hear God in light of what we just shared? Can you hear God say this? I can't wait for my people to get in their hearts the revelation of getting more. 
I can't wait till, till my people catch the vision of getting more stuff. I'm so glad that they're getters and not givers. Right? I mean, it just it makes no sense understanding who God is and what he's already given that our motivation is not to get. That's so far against what God has in mind for us. The reality is, is that giving more than any other activity a believer does works selfishness and greed out of our lives. Giving more than anything else works selfishness and greed out of our lives. When we have a motivation of something like give to get or a prosperity gospel, or if I give, I'm going to get finances in return, it actually sows that back into our lives if that's what we believe. It sows selfishness and greed back into it. So in John 12, there's this wonderful story that reveals again this battle between head and heart. Uh, John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And this, the setting for this is Jesus is talking uh, again, or there, there's a, a party held in Jesus' favor. They're having dinner. Uh, it's just like a life group, right? Just like a life group. They're having dinner together. And Jesus is there. And uh, they're celebrating the fact that Lazarus uh, was literally uh, born again. He, was, he had been dead for four days, raised back to life through the power of Jesus Christ. And so now they're celebrating uh, uh, for uh, kind of in his honor as well. So six days before the Passover, now, this is six days before Jesus was crucified. That's the context. This is right around the corner. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. That's where Martha always was, was serving. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Some, of the, uh, uh, some versions say about a pound of pure nard, which is an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Everybody smelled it. Everybody knew something had just been given. And the smell uh, for them would have been something that they recognized that this was no ordinary gift, no ordinary offering, no ordinary extravagance, but something very special. I'll share in just a moment. Um, a number of years ago, when, when I was in Greeley, Colorado, Pastor Jim was the pastor there in Greeley, and uh, so we had a big Easter production back when those were like those were like the thing, right? So this is the mid '90s, and uh, I played Jesus, and so I grew up my beard, grew up my hair, and I put extensions in. I looked really cool, um, and. So I played Jesus, and at this one point, um, one of the years, uh, my lovely wife, she played Mary. And so we were reenacting this whole John chapter 12. And so people are sitting around, and, and uh, you know, so I, I'm Jesus. I'm sitting on the stool and looking all, you know, compassionate and just like a love in my eyes, trying to have that look. And so here comes Shelly as Mary. And, and in, in time, we did, I forget, like nine or ten times that we did this whole thing. And this is the last night. All the weird things happen on the last night, right? Just because everybody's like, done, I'm finished with this thing. And so, so I'm, I'm sitting there. She, you know, she kind of walks up and kneels down. And, and I'm like, oh, yes, this is my wife. That's where she should be, you know, and all that stuff. So joke. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So she, and, and I'm, see, she's not in here right now. She's helping out the children. So this is great. And so, 
So, so she kneels down there, and what she has is a jar, and she's supposed to fake pour, you know, the, the, there's nothing in it, never has been. And so fake pours it there, and I'm supposed to look with compassion and put my hand on her head, and just, you know, and music's playing and all this stuff's going on. Really cool cantata, right? And so, so she's there, and I'm, I'm there looking compassion, and she's got a grin on her face this time. And in the jar, instead of it being empty, and we had like dry ice and all this stuff for all the smoke and all the fog and all that that you do in an Easter production to make it really good. And so she had gotten this water right at the freezing point, absolutely frigid. And so I'm sitting there, and I have no idea what she's doing. She's got that grin on her face that something bad's going to happen. And she pours this freezing cold water all over my feet, and it's just horrible. And I'm like... This is really great moment. So beautiful moment between my wife and I. I should have expected nothing less, right? Verse four. That did not happen in the story. That's not how it happened. It didn't. It went down much better in the story. Verse four. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Right? Some of you are thinking that very thing, right? The, it's, it's just like here she wastes this incredible gift because this gift, by the way, that she was given, this was basically a marriage gift that she was eventually going to be giving as part of like the dowry and part of the cultural norm. She was basically saying, I'm giving up my ability to be married. And this extravagant gift, and that was the, the smell, the perfume. Everybody knew what that was. They were astounded that she would do this. And uh, Judas, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Think about how much you make in a year. And think about going out right now and buying a pound of something, Wagyu beef, right, for a year's wage. Think about what that says about Mary's heart in that moment. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. For Mary, her treasure, she was willing to pour it out at Jesus' feet. For Judas, his treasure was the money bag. That's where his heart was. So every time, any time that you see generosity on display, you're going to see selfishness uh, trying to take generosity out of the center of that. You're going to see it and you're going to look at it for other people. God, why did you bless them? God, why did you give them that car? God, why are they living in that house? When really the selfishness is where you are struggling with other people's blessings. Now, remember what we read just a moment ago of the Sermon on the Mount. Judas is a perfect example of someone who the condemnation by which he lived his life, the judgment by which he lived his life, was poured back into his own life, overflowing. Right? The condemnation showed up in the way that he betrayed Jesus. Eventually, it got the best of him. He took his own life. That condemnation became too much for him. It was poured out over and over in his life. For Mary, 
she knelt down there and gave her best, gave everything that she had. What was she poured out? Uh, uh, poured out mercy on Jesus. She poured out gratitude. She poured out abundance on Jesus' feet. What was returned to her? Well, prosperity gospel would say, well, she received some sort of financial blessing for that. No, I don't think so. I think what she received was in the incredible gift is that her story now serves as one of the greatest examples of extravagant giving to Jesus that we have. She gave everything. She gave her future to Jesus, all of her hopes and dreams at his feet. And God says, I'm going to use this as a story to be an encouragement to generation after generation after generation after generation. And finally, we're confronted with this in one final story in, in Luke. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, also our ushers have a card. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and pass this card out. Hang on to it for just a moment. Um, I'll give you some more instructions about uh, the card uh, here in just a minute. But Luke chapter 16, it reveals a lot more about just this life when it comes to our giving. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with your own? There's that, that phrase out there, drive it like you rent it or whatever, drive it like it's a rental or something like that. <laughs> right, how can you be trusted? Anyway, okay. If you're faithful... Well, let me put it this way. Faithfulness in the little things leads to faithfulness in larger things. And this starts now. Right? If you're a teenager or if you're, in, if you're in elementary school, this is where it starts. If you're faithful in the little things, it's going to reveal that there is a faithfulness in the larger things that that's capable in your life. Dishonesty in the little things leads to dishonesty in the larger things. Trust in worldly wealth leads to, tr uh, leads to true riches, trust with true riches. This is so powerful and so much bigger than just our finances. Because, folks, it's the little decisions of integrity now that lead to a lifetime of influence. It's the little responsibilities now that result in greater responsibilities later. I think especially of, of teenagers and, and uh, uh, like that first job, that you get. My son um, worked at uh, Chuck E. Cheese. You know, $8 an hour to make pizzas and to deal with all of you parents who bring your children there to Chuck E. Cheese to have a wonderful time, <laughs> right? And so he, he's there and the faithfulness in the little things. And so teaching my son to begin to be responsible in the little things when the manager, because I learned my lesson right when I, when I walked out of Godfathers, um, be faithful in the little things and learning to do the small things as an employee that lead to greater responsibility down the road. And now he just got a different job uh, working at UPS, and there's this, this whole other side of him now that I see because, honestly, he, he paid his dues and paid his time at Chuck E. Cheese, the prison of Chuck E. Cheese. He paid his time there. 
And now it's like greater responsibilities. There is faithful in his tithe and faithful in giving and, and all that stuff. And now greater responsibilities. And God takes note. God takes note of those little bits of integrity in our life, the, the, the decisions that we make, especially, and I think it bears it out here, especially how we handle worldly wealth. Because he says, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, how can you be trusted with true riches? And I think Jesus has in mind generosity back towards his work and what he is doing in the world around us. The Old Testament, the tithe, New Testament tithe is mentioned as well, and then generous gifts above and beyond that. I think this is what he's talking about when he says, if you can't be trusted with worldly, uh, uh, worldly finances, how can you be entrusted with true riches? What are true riches? I think true riches are the people that we have influence in their lives. True riches is people. It's not things. True riches is people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a true rich. Is. <laughs> that made no sense. You're truly riches. You're truly, you're just awesome. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're awesome. <laughs> right? So glad when I say things that don't make sense goes out for the internet. Everybody to hear it. That's awesome. True riches are the people that you influence. True riches are your family coming to and living for Christ. True riches are the gifts of the Spirit in operation in your life and in the family of God. True riches are being part of releasing bondage, releasing from bondage people who are, who are bound by sin, right? We get to partner with God in that. And that ability, I think, happens when we are entrusted with worldly wealth. In a weird sort of way, all of these things are tied together, folks. There's a direct correlation between life now and life later. And what I mean by later is eternity. <laughs> There's a direct correlation between life now and how we handle our stewardship, how we handle generosity, how we, how we handle influencing lives around us, and that correlation with the life later, that who we bring to heaven with us. Right? I want as many people as possible. So some of you, and I'm, um, we've got this commitment card here. And it says, understanding that we are to return the tithe to the Lord, I or we, if you're signing for your family, commit to bringing to the Lord our best. And so what is our best? The heart of generosity is best revealed in the giving of the tithe, in the giving of offerings, and the giving of ourselves. Trusting the Lord to keep his own word, I or we give willingly, knowing that blessings of knowing that the blessings of God are broader than finances and possessions. Right? That's what we've been talking about the past three weeks. It's more than just that. My or our intention is to grow in generosity and to give beyond the tithe and experience the blessings of God in every area of my life. And so some of you are in this position, maybe you're brand new to church, you're going, ah, this, you know, I've been here for three weeks and all this guy talks about is money. <laughs> Next week, we're not necessarily talking about money, but it's going to be part of it, right? Um, money is so vital for us to understand, right? We talked about it, it's the one thing that gets selfishness and greed out of our lives. We learn how to, how to control that and be able to be generous and give back towards God. Um, but when we take these first steps of giving, there's this thing that goes on in our brain, and we're going to wrap up with this. There are like six phases 
when it comes to giving. And here's the first one. We hear God. We, you know, we, we have that sense that, God, I'm hearing you. And because I've heard you, we get excited. That's phase two. There's an excitement associated with it. And you go, yes, this is great, God. I've heard you, and I know you're asking me to be generous, and I love this. This is great. We get excited. Phase three, we become fearful, though. Become fearful because we leave from here, and we go home, and we look at our budget. We look at our bank account. We look at that, and we become fearful. We start thinking logically about these commitments to generosity, and we go, oh, God, but, oh, God, I've got this. Oh, Lord, I, and then we begin to doubt. God, did I really hear you? Sounds a lot like Garden of Eden, right? Did I really hear you? God, did I, did we begin to doubt. And oftentimes it stops right there and we doubt. And because we doubt, we think, well, I'm doubting this, so therefore I must not have to do this or it must not be a good idea. I don't feel like I should because I'm doubting. But the next step and the one we don't make that leap to is this faithful obedience, right? This faith to obey. And what that looks like to me is when the head and the heart become an agreement over the commitment that you have made of generosity through the tithe, through the offerings, and things above and beyond that. So here's what that looks like practically. I was talking to a couple first service, and they had made a commitment. They tithe already. They've made a commitment over and above to increase their missions giving. Right as soon as they had made that, that, does, that, um, that decision to increase their missions giving, uh, he has, an, he has a... Uh, um, What's a hearing aid? There we go. Has a hearing aid. The hearing aid broke, fell out, something like that, broke, shattered, you know, and all that stuff. Those are thousands. This is one of those. It's not the one you buy off the TV as seen on TV, like $29.99. You can hear everybody. No, you can't hear anything. Um, this is one of those, like, thousands of dollars not covered by insurance and, the, you know, all those things. And they're like, God, did we hear you? Did we hear you? They go to the doctor, has to get refitted, goes through this whole thing, come to find out, and they were faithful in, in following through and saying, God, well, no matter what, we're going to follow through, even though we know this is going to hurt, we're going to follow through on this commitment to missions. Come to find out, everything was covered. Everything was covered very unexpectedly through the insurance. They said it wasn't, and then it was. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All because I believe they took a step of faith saying, God, we're going to obey the step of faith. And Lord, we, and they were so, so, so grateful. Had a lady walk up to me right before the beginning of the service. She said, I started tithing this last week. I started tithing this last week and it hurt a little bit to be able to do this. But I got an unexpected check in the mail on Tuesday from a, from a power company two years ago. I've not even been a part of this power company for two years. Sent me a check um, that helped meet the need that I had immediately uh, that week in my life. Incredible, right? That God is able to see and realize and say, I'm going to send blessing your way. We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.